And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may pray there also, for that is why I came out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen, amen, amen. Can y'all hear me? Okay. Oh, yes. There we go, sound guy. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, a sound guy is not appropriate. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Good morning, City on a Hill. Oh, okay. Look, y'all got the mask on, so y'all trying to, like, keep it light. Hopefully that's it, right? Good morning. Okay. I like that. I like that. See, it's good being able to look out and see people. Uh, I am so excited to be with you this morning. I hail you blessings and uh, excitement from Daytona Beach, Florida. Bright and sunny Daytona Beach, Florida. Warm, sometimes hot Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, we have a beach. That's why we call it Daytona Beach, Florida. And that is uh, what's shocking me the most about being here uh, with you this weekend. I love being here with you. Uh, but let me just say that uh, this weekend... As it's been rainy and probably warm to you all, but cold to me, uh, I have missed my home. Uh, but I've been happy to be here with you in the Boston area. Before I get to the Word of God, let me give a quick shout out to uh, Identity Church. It's the church plant that I get an opportunity to lead. Uh, a lot of our people are on Zoom right now. Maybe a few of our people are on Zoom right now, so they're watching with you all. Uh, and they have been praying all week and thinking about you all all week because they know that we would be up here and I would be up here uh, to deliver the word of God. So thank you, Identity, for, for tuning in. During my travels, um, there are a few things that stood out to me. Uh, one, uh, let me just say, it's a blessing that I got here because my ticket was with American Airlines. Uh, so I had four flights that were canceled, uh, two on the way up and two today for the way back. So I was thinking I might be either stranded in Charlotte, North Carolina with my connecting flight or stranded with you up here in cold Boston, Massachusetts. But by God's grace, JetBlue came through to the rescue and they're getting me on a flight to head out uh, later on today. As I sat in the airport on Friday, I did what I usually do in the airport, which is Observe. Matter of fact, you know, in my everyday life, I am a fairly loud, uh, fairly talkative, fairly energetic person, but airports change me. I'm a completely different person in an airport. I'm quiet, I'm collected, I'm an observer. Because airports are extremely interesting. There's so much going on all the time in the airports. So I have to step back, because if I don't, I'll be extremely anxious. I don't think we think about it much, but, but airports are really a chaotic place. You got to walk in, take off your shoes, uh, pull your stuff out of your bag. Then you have to run to a gate just to sit down and wait. You got to uh, hurry up to get on the, the plane just so you can sit down for 30 minutes to get ready to take off. Everybody's on a device. Everybody's moving. Everybody's in a hurry. 
and there's no place to rest. Airports are, are, are an interesting place because they're uncomfortable, and we're constantly sitting there thinking about the next thing. Airports, I think, are one of the greatest illustrations for many of our lives. They we're hurried. There's so many things that we are ready to get to, that we feel the pressure of not just being able to rest and relax or, or sit back or maybe even observe. A lot of our lives are like those airports. They're, they're chaotic. They're unsettled. They're hurried. They're constantly pushing towards the next thing. You know what else is interesting about airports? There are no quiet moments in airports. Absolutely none. Babies crying. Some obnoxious guy on a business phone call on speakerphone for some reason. Uh, the beeping of that little vehicle that they move around uh, people in. Some song playing in the background from Alanis Morissette. There's always something going on in the airport. And just like that, the airport, again, is one of the greatest illustrations for our lives. Hurried, unsettled, constantly looking towards what's next, and noisy. If you observe your life, if you do some spiritual inventory, I'm sure that you can think through how your life is like that. That you wake up every day, 6 a.m., do a routine, move from one thing to the next, and the only time of relaxation is when you plop down to check out The Maid on Netflix. Or what are, what are y'all watching on Netflix, by the way? Maybe The Maid. You're looking forward to these small moments because most of your day is going, 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 going. Our lives are noisy. Our lives are busy. Our lives are unsettled. I know y'all have talked about this because I've listened to some of the sermons. There's something that we desperately need when our lives are that chaotic. It's silence. It's silence in the presence of God. See, we have external noise in our lives. It's just the beeping of horns. It's the people walking down the street. It's your boss sending you an email 30 minutes before you're supposed to be in the work. That's the external noise. But many of us have the internal noise as well. It's the scripts that we have in our heart that we repeat over and over and over. That you're not enough. That you have to work harder. Uh, that you, as much as you would like to, you can't seem to get a hold of how to live life in Christ. There's external noise, but there's also internal noise. Our hearts are just as noisy as our streets. And most of us don't know we don't know it, but we, we need that change, but we don't know how to change. Yet, there's not one person I've ever talked to that hasn't wanted to hear more from God. Like in the midst of your busyness, your hurriedness, I bet you would admit you still want to hear from God. Your life could be filled from the moment you wake up to the moment that you fall asleep. 
And yet, I bet there's not one of us that doesn't want to hear from God. See, we have the desire for revelation. We, we want God to uh, maneuver our lives in such a way where we would know I am on the right path. I've made the right decision. I, I've gone in the right way. And yet, many times, we haven't even sat to listen. We haven't even sat to, to really listen for the voice of God. Different people do this in different ways. Uh, if you're of the charismatic tradition, I don't know how many of you are, but, but, but you might believe that the voice of God comes through uh, prophets or, or comes through people who are going to deliver a mighty word on a Sunday that's going to break through and change your life. If you're of a more scholarly uh, tradition, you might believe that you can sit down and read the library of theology so well the Spirit of the Lord would impart the truth in you. It's through your efforts that you can actually hear from God. I think both are a little extreme. I think there's something that, that we've gotten away from in our Christian lives, our spiritual lives, our lives in Jesus that could actually get us to a place where we could hear from God more readily. And that's just listening. See, we are desperately reaching for change. Many of us are, are running for self-help. We're reading books about how to get better. Uh, some of us are uh, more into self-love. We're, we're trying to figure out what more we can do for ourselves. Uh, some of us are just consumption people. We're trying to see how much more we can take in. And not many of us are those who would just rest and be with God. Our hearts yearn for something more. And a lot of times we live our entire lives without ever seeing that yearning addressed. And yet in the midst of our noisy and anxious world, God offers us peace. He offers us his presence and he offers us direction. Hear this. When we sit and listen for God. I don't see many note takers, but I'll give us our title for today. It's, it's simple, listening for God. I remember the first guy that I ever discipled. His name was Pat. Me and Pat were sitting in a Starbucks one day. And, you know, when you get saved, you drink a lot of coffee. I don't know what that is. It's like the Holy Spirit comes in your life and caffeine comes right after. So we're sitting in Starbucks, throwing them back, open our Bibles, reading through the scriptures. And both of us are talking about hearing from God. And we're sitting there having this discussion. And he's saying, I just want to know what's next. I just want to know how to get there. I want to know what God has for me. And I sat and listened to him. I asked him a question. What was the last song that played in the background? He said, what, what do you mean, man? We say here reading the Bible. What do you mean? What was the last song that played in the background? I said, were you listening to the music that's already been playing? See, much like the music in Starbucks that many of us don't even take in, God is constantly speaking. God is constantly offering uh, opportunities for us to draw near to him. God is constantly delivering revelation. And usually we are just too busy searching for how to do it better ourselves 
than to listen to the voice that is always speaking. This is what the Bible gives us. It shows us God is always talking and he's always speaking to our needs, but we are often not listening. I have a favorite rapper. Don't judge me. I do listen to rap. I don't listen to it often. I do listen to the edited version. But my favorite rapper is Jay-Z. Anybody listening to Jay-Z? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to incriminate you. All right. Jay-Z is my favorite rapper, but Jay-Z has a favorite poet, and this poet's name is Rumi. And Rumi wrote this once. He wrote, listen to silence, for it has so much to say. Rumi is nowhere near as great of a poet as the Bible delivers up because the Bible says, listen to God, because God has much to say. Psalm 19 uh, would put it in this way, the words of David. Uh, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. and The expanse proclaims the work of his hand. What does David say? He's saying that God is speaking to us, and it's evident in our world. When, when the world seems busy, when, when there's so much going on, God is still speaking. My question to you, City on a Hill, have you learned to listen? Have you learned to listen? There are two points for today's sermon. I know there was a long intro, but there are two points that I want to get us to so that we can begin to reshape our relationship and increase what comes from the intimacy that we have with God. Here's number one. We should follow Jesus's example of running into radical solitude. And here's number two. It goes with it. That we should follow the Spirit's leading as divine redirection. Go with me to our, our passage really quick. You can, you can see this uh, as, as all these things are being unpacked by the writer Mark. He talks about Jesus showing us the example of running into radical solitude. I have a, uh, I have a puppy that I, we just got. She's only about nine, ten weeks old. Everywhere I go in the house, she follows me. Every single place. I, I could go anywhere. There's only a few places where she will not follow. And I think about that and think about when my children were young. And when my children were really young, they would follow me every single place I would go. And I think they do that because they understand where their dependence lies. They understand that they are small. They are in need. In some ways, they are weak. And I am I'm there to provide. I'm there to give. I'm there to strengthen, to empower See, when we are dependent on God, we tend to follow him anywhere. Uh, when we deeply need God, we will follow him anywhere. But as soon as we begin to become independent, we pick and choose how much we want to follow. See, Jesus gives a beautiful example of going into a place. And what I believe uh, should have happened, although I'm not a writer of Scripture, is that the disciples should have followed him into this place. But that's not the undercurrent of Scripture. That's just what we are uh, walking on for us. But we should be prepared to follow Jesus into radical solitude. Look at verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
Jesus got up, amen, and he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. I would ask y'all to say deserted place, but I don't know if y'all are talk back church. Let me try it out. Say deserted place. Hey, man, I love when the preaching experience is both uh, way, going both ways. Jesus is in a deserted place. He, he finds this place so that he can have solitude. I deem it radical solitude. And here's why I deem it radical solitude. Because something that is radical is out of the norm. Something that is radical kind of goes against the cultural norm. Something that is radical is shocking to people. And what happened when Jesus goes to this deserted place? They look for him and they're shocked when they cannot find him. Look at verse 36. It says, Simon and his companions searched for Jesus. Now, what happens before this is Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. So we can assume that Jesus is, uh, he's resting with Simon and his family. Uh, Let me break this down. Jesus is in Simon's hood. Jesus is in Simon's uh, comfortable place. Jesus is in Simon's neighborhood. Imagine if I came as a guest and then I woke up early in the morning and you look all around your neighborhood where you know all of your streets. You all know, know all of the creeks and crevices and you still cannot find me. This is what Peter is doing. He's looking everywhere in his hood and he cannot find Jesus. That's why the solitude is radical. It's radical because Jesus was led in such a way uh, to get to a deserted place so that he would not be easily found. Some of us need to tap into that radical solitude. Solitude is just uh, from this Latin word solas, which is it's related to our word soul. It just means by yourself. Solitude is a, a discipline of being alone so that you might be undistracted. Hear this radical solitude before God. It ain't just getting alone. It's getting alone with God. See, see some of us like to get alone. We do. Yeah, we find our little corner uh, in our coffee shop or in our own house. Uh, some of us have basements or, or, or places that we can hide out and, and we get a book and we get to ourselves and we love that. But are you alone with God or just yourself? Are you running to God or are you running from what's going on in your life? See, others of us, we are scared when it comes to solitude. We are afraid to run into those deserted places. Why? Because in the silence, we are afraid of what we might actually hear. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he speaks to this, this mighty man of God. He, he's known for saying this, we are so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves, in order not to have to look ourselves in the mirror. My boy Dietrich is saying, you're afraid of what you might see if you are alone with God. And DB didn't even have Instagram. I mean, he didn't have Facebook and he understands what's going on with us today. 
that we run from one event to another, one party to another, one Bible study to another, one class to another, one kids event to another, and we are afraid to actually sit and be with God because what might actually come from it? Listen, solitude, solitude's an ancient discipline for the Christian faith, but it's also a biblical discipline. I don't think uh, this particular passage is trying to push us into some sort of uh, solitude and silence that is unconnected to hearing from God. You can run to another religion for that. You can run to a self-help guru for that. You can download a mindfulness app for that. They even have it on Netflix now where you can put it on your Netflix and get silence and solitude, which is weird because Netflix is playing. But what we see in the scripture is your silence and your radical solitude is connected to being with God. Quick history lesson. Uh, Silence and solitude really got popular in the times of the uh, monastic times. Uh, So monks would actually uh, pack up their lives and they would run to the actual desert uh, so that they could be alone with God. What happened was uh, as Christendom was starting to come about, the world got busy. And as people would read the scriptures, like Mark 1, 36, they would see that Jesus was one who readily went to deserted places so that he could be with God. Lamentations 3, 28, it, it talks about this a bit. It, it says, let him sit alone and be silent. The writer of Lamentations is talking about this deep moment of silence when you are feeling moments of lament. In 1 Kings 19 and 11, it says this, Then he said, go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of God or in the Lord's presence. What is that? It's solitude. Why? So that you can hear from God. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there, it was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Guess where the Lord was? A small and still voice. See, we're waiting on the earthquakes to hear from God. We're waiting on the the, the huge thing that happens to hear from God. But guess guess how God usually shows up in the quiet moments. I think about Moses spending 40 years in deserted places. And most of us think that it was at the moment where the burning bush happened that Moses really uh, was worked on and changed by God. But I'm willing to bet that over the 40 years, it was the time of silence in front of God that made the burning bush make sense. In your life, you might be looking for the earthquake or the burning bush, but you should appreciate solitude and silence because that is where God does work too. Jesus had three years with his disciples. We get much of it in the text. 
But what if he did a lot of the spiritual formation in them, not as he's teaching on a hill or healing people, but as they sit with him in silence? Could God be doing that same thing with you right now? In this crazy world, this busy world, could it be the silent moments that could be getting you to the place that you need to be? I told you I had two points. Point number one is simple. Follow Jesus into a place of radical solitude. There we should be dependent on his presence. We should fight becoming independent, fight against crafting lives that can go on without God. And you're looking at me like, that's not what my life looks like. My life doesn't go on without God. I am sitting in church right now on a Sunday morning. So let me alter it. We create space for God. We don't allow God to create the space that he wants for us. Radical solitude gets us to those places. If we're to follow Jesus' example uh, into radical solitude, here are a couple things that we could pursue. What does the text say that Jesus did? He got up early in the morning and he went out. Some of us, in a very practical way, can follow Jesus' motto in this, that a lot of us need to get up out of these comfortable places that we're sitting in in our life and actually go to a place of solitude go to a place of silence. Uh, Again, this might just be another corner in your house, but it's a corner where God is. Or maybe we need to leave outside of our home so that we can go to a place where we can actually focus on God. Another thing uh, that we can see that Jesus did is that he uh, communicated or, or did not communicate with others about where he was going. He made sure that he would have an uninterrupted time with his father. See, we don't even like to turn the notifications off on our phone. A few of us in worship, we're checking our phones. I'm I'm guilty. I I hate this Apple Watch because every single time a notification comes out, I can't help it. It's like my arm is like. And it's funny, but we live our lives like that. We live our lives wanting to be interrupted. We live our lives open to the interruptions that the world would give. Jesus is showing us that we should shut those things down so that we can sit in the presence of God uninterrupted. Practicing solitude in this day, I promise you, will be radical. Because our world tells us that we should feel every single moment that we can. A couple of brothers got together last night. We we laughed about what what we do in the morning. And, And many of us, if not all of us, said that we spend the first 15 minutes maybe 20, 30, on our phone. I'm not going to call y'all out, but I know y'all do it too. Think Think about if we did what Jesus did. We got up early, went to a distant place, maybe just a corner, and we just sat and listened for God. If you pursue radical solitude in this day, It will seem crazy to culture, but it will be a blessing to your soul. The second point I want to give you is is this. Follow the Spirit's leading as divine redirection. 
Now, you might be looking at this text and saying, where is the Holy Spirit? Where is he? We don't see him here, but we know he's there. We know that the Spirit is in this text. We know because many other times that Jesus went off to deserted places, it was by the Spirit's leading. Think about after Jesus was baptized, uh, all these beautiful, wonderful things that's happening. God the Father, that's my son. I'm so proud of him. And then the Holy Spirit is like, like a dove. See, y'all don't read the Bible like I do. And the enemy wants to tempt Jesus in this deserted place. But the enemy didn't realize that the reason why Jesus is in the deserted place It's because the Spirit led him there. The Spirit of God led Jesus to the deserted place. See, many many times we think that Jesus was fighting in defense, but Jesus was actually on the offense because the Spirit led him to the deserted place. See, the Spirit of God is there. It's leading Jesus as he is going into these deserted places, and it will lead us in the deserted places as well. See, the Spirit led Jesus to these places because it's the Father's will on display on earth, and the Spirit is moving as we move in these places. There are a couple ways that we can follow the spirits moving into redirection. One is through prayer. See, the Father made the direction and the Spirit made the directives. Let me say that again. The Father gave the direction and the Spirit gave the directives. See, oftentimes God will tell you where he wants you to go. But God often doesn't tell you how to get there. The Spirit... The Spirit along with the Father will give you uh, directives on where to go and where not to go as you are making that path to where God wants you. We see that happen most often in prayer. See, prayer opens us up to being redirected by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is indeed the best spiritual director we could ever have. And guess what? We don't have to pay for it. Jesus already paid. It's through Jesus on the cross that we get the Spirit living in us. You don't have to pay for that spiritual direction. The Holy Spirit doesn't cut off when it's 59 minutes and 48 seconds like, like many people do. But in prayer, we're sitting with Him. The Spirit will direct us. And the reason why I say spiritual redirection is because oftentimes, even if we get the directions, we tend to go in another place. I was in an Uber. I've been in a few Ubers since I've been here. And I was blown away by the fact that the GPS said, take a right. And this guy still went straight. And we took three lefts and we went a different direction, although the directions were right in front of him. How many times do we do that in our lives? Directions are right here. While we're praying, the directions are right here. And yet when we get in the driver's seat, we take the turns that we want to. 
Yeah, the Spirit of God, when we make that wrong turn, the Spirit of God will direct, redirect that turn. See, Jesus didn't make any wrong turns. He's perfect. But it did change the direction that the disciples thought they were going in. See, as they sat, uh, they were getting probably comfy at Peter's house. They're like, man, we've been healing people. We, we've been seeing see people set free. You know, all this stuff is happening. And Jesus goes off into this deserted place. And when they finally find him, what does he say to them? Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I might preach there too. <laughs> what? I thought we were doing the healing thing. I thought this was the Benny Hinn thing. Now you want to preach? It's in his moments of prayer, sitting in the presence of God, being directed by the Spirit, that he has moved to this new thing. This is God working together perfectly. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, all working together perfectly. The Son submitting to the way that God wants him to go. Them all cooperating together. There's participation from all three in the Godhead at this very moment. And when we sit and listen to the voice of God and we sit in prayer, in solitude, we allow the Spirit to take over our lives and redirect us, to change our plans, to push us in different directions because the Father has said so and the Son has died so that you can have this direction. Verse 38 shows us that redirection can happen. Embracing redirection becomes easier after you're fully convinced through relationship that you are going in the way of God because he's at the will. See, we always want Jesus to take the wheel, but we never want to get in the back seat. <laughs> we want him to sit, sit on our lap or something. And we think Jesus is like the Tesla. Like, I can just still sit in the front seat. And if, if something goes off, I can grab the wheel. No. We should be ready for God to fully take over our lives. We saw this in the life of our church. We were going in one direction, and through sitting with God, we ended up going in a different direction. We took three months off as a church. We did a three-month church-wide sabbatical where we sat and listened for the voice of God. And God spoke, and we heard it, and it revived us. And we felt even more uh, clear and, and convinced that we were walking in the way that God wanted us to be. I believe he could do the same for all of us. But we also have to be present with the Spirit. See, being fully open to listen to God in the quietest moments is what it looks like to be present. I can't, I can't stand when I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're constantly looking off and checking their phone. They say, huh? What? They, they're not hearing what you're saying. I, I mean, it bugs me when I'm having a conversation with someone and, and you don't even see their eyes. It looks like they're off in a different place. And yet I feel so convicted 
in my times of prayer, when I'm running, checking the notifications on my heart, I'm distracted. I'm unwilling to look and gaze upon the beauty of God because I'm ready to get to the next thing. I'm hurried. See, Paul in Corinthians, he lets us know that we have fellowship through the Spirit, which means you actually can share presence with God. The idea of fellowship, that koinonia, like you are be, be brought in and almost as one with God. You have that opportunity as you sit and pray to God. You can be fully present. And as you're fully present, he will guide you. He will move you. He will remind you of what's true. But you have to fully be there. You have to. We must practice being fully present with God. We must get it in our souls to say like Samuel and Isaiah, here I am God. We must reverse, uh, do the opposite of what Adam has done, where God calls out to Adam and he doesn't want to be in the presence of God. He must be running from God. Yet we have the spirit in us. So we can say, here I am. I'm fully present. My sins aren't driving me away from you. My pains aren't driving me away from you. My insecurities, my my anxieties are not driving me away from you. Here I am, God, through patience and not rushing past silence, we can get to that resolve. Psalm 37 and 7, the writer says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prosper in his ways, by the person who carries out evil plans. Sit with the Lord. Be silent. As I think about this reflection that Jesus is being moved to a deserted place and directed by the Spirit, he gives a beautiful example for us to follow. We can follow his lead into radical solitude. We can befriend silence, listening for the voice of God. As I think about that, I think about how powerful silence can be. I think about the weekend that Jesus was killed for our sin on a Friday to be raised to new life on a Sunday. But on that Saturday, it was silent. It was nothing being said. Saturday was the Sabbath. Everyone was forced to rest. They were forced to sit. And I can imagine that as they sat, they thought about Jesus being on that cross and then forced in a tomb that wasn't his. Where's Jesus? When will he come back? When will he speak into my life? What can I do without him? There was silence. And yet the silence did not mean that God was not there. The silence did not mean that God had given up on his people. 
See, it's in the silent moments that God is working. And even in that middle stage between struggle and solution, silence is where God does a lot of his work. We are blessed because of the silence that happened on that Sabbath day. Because as God mandated rest, he's fighting on our behalf peace. And even in the silent moments as you pursue them in your life, if you sit and you feel like you don't hear from God, he is working things out for your good. Silence does not equal inactivity. It doesn't equal absence. It does not equal apathy. But God is often working in the silent moments. That would set us free from sin. Set us free from death. Set us free from this war against the devil. So now the silent moments don't have to be, they don't have to be filled with fear. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and what came of him walking out of that tomb, silent moments do not have to be filled with fear. The silent moments don't have to be filled with this idea that we might run back into our sin. The silent moments can now be places of freedom. City on a hill, embrace silent moments. Embrace radical solitude. Embrace holding close to God. I don't want to leave you without giving you a couple points because I know y'all have done some work on, on, on Sabbath and quieting your souls. So let me give you five points that might help you. Here's the first one. Plan out your time with God. Many of us plan out everything else. Some of us plan out our meals. Some of you know every single thing you'll do, and maybe even say today. Have you planned out time with God? Take a couple minutes, find a spot, plan that out and commit to it. Plan your time out with God. The second thing uh, that you can do is eliminate distractions. See, Jesus got up, he went away from it all so that he could eliminate the distractions. Look at your life, do some inventory, figure out where you can turn the notifications off. Eliminate those distractions so that you can be like Jesus, sitting in the presence of God, being directed by the Spirit. The third thing is be expectant and thankful. Just like the psalm said, being still in front of God, expectant in front of God. God doesn't always speak in moments of silence in a way that you can hear him, but God is speaking. So be, be expectant, but also be thankful that you have opportunity to rest in the presence of the Lord. The fourth thing is commit to doing it out of love. It shouldn't be something that you add to your spiritual inventory so that you can check off a box. See, Jesus gave, the, gave us an example of communing with his Father out of love. Not because he needed more directions. Not because he needed to know whether he should take the preaching job or the healing job. Not because he needed to know whether he should uproot his family and move across the city. He sat with God out of love. 
And as we pursue radical solitude and silence, we shouldn't pursue it so that we can hear a mighty word from God, but so that we can sit in front of a mighty God in whom we love and whom loves us. And lastly, we must be anchored in truth. See, far too often people come up with these practices. They say, pursue these things, and they want you to sit alone with your thoughts. The difference in what we uh, do in the Christian faith and what Jesus did is he's not sitting alone so that he can empty himself. He's sitting alone in the presence of God, being filled by all that God is. See, when we do silence and solitude, that's what we're looking for. We're not emptying all of our thoughts so that we can come up with new thoughts. We're sitting with God being anchored by the truth. How do you become anchored by the truth? The Word of God. You pursue radical silence and solitude by meditating on the truths of Scripture. But even more than that, if you can't memorize a verse, memorize this truth. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came to this world. He communed with us. Even though we were full of sin, while we were yet sinners, though, Christ died for us so that we could have new life in him. That new life that we can experience with Jesus comes by faith and faith alone. But guess what? When you, you opt into this faith, your new life still some reason has sin in it. There's still this idea that you will die. There's still this war zone that we're in with the enemy. But the one thing that we can hold on to is we are now by faith in Jesus Christ. So the death that we will experience will only be temporary. We will live forever with him. The life that we are living will be forever. It's eternal. The sin that wants to knock us out of our life has no power because Jesus has defeated it. If you can't meditate on any scripture or passage, meditate on that truth. That Jesus died for my sins and by faith I live in him. His spirit lives in me. City on a hill, that, that's the only message that has power. That's the only message where people can have life. And yet we don't sit with that message in our own lives enough. So I challenge all of us, how in here, sit. Sit with Jesus in silence, away from all distractions, and meditate on the truth of the gospel. Because in those moments, although the world is busy, your soul your soul will become unbusy and centered on the God that loves you dearly and will be with you always. St. John of the Cross 
says this. Our greatest need is to be silent before this great God with the appetite and with the tongue. For the only language he hears is the silent language of love. Intentionally reaching for love through communing with God is countering the busyness that wants to pull you from life with God. Listen. Listen for God. Would you all pray with me? Gracious Father, we love you. So often, the world, the devil, all evil, tries to fill our lives with things that will pull us away from sitting with you. From being like children, fully dependent on you. Our hearts desperately want to grab hold to the will of life. Spirit of the living God, let us let go of that will and abandon ourselves to you. Lord, I pray right now for all of us who have busied souls and hearts and lives, that you would allow for us to see that there's freedom, there's love, there's care in the quiet solitude that is in your presence. And the only reason we have access to that is because Jesus died on the cross for us, opening us to live life in him. Lord, whoever's struggling with living in him, I pray that your spirit empowers us so that we can embrace moments in him in an even greater way. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We pray that you will continually draw us into deserted places with you so that we can taste and see how good you are. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And we say amen, amen, and amen again.